We're going to be all over in Scripture this morning, but if you want to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 6, that is where we will be most often, not all the time will I uh, preach in this fashion, usually exposit one passage, but today we want to look and prepare our hearts for the biblical observance of ordinances, in particular the Lord's Supper, but also baptism. And we're going through a series called Vital Signs of a Healthy Church. And we need to turn rightfully to Scripture in all areas of our life and follow obediently. But today we also want to be reminded that even the ordinances which God has gifted us with, that we must follow faithfully. So let us look into Scripture and learn together today and learn how important these are. So let us read, uh, let's first pray together this morning. God, this morning we come to you uh, knowing that you are a gift to us, that you have gifted us your son Jesus, and that you have gifted us the church, the church in which we have been united in faith, uh, faith in your son Jesus Christ, that the ordinances display something more, display you, your son Jesus, and the hope of the gospel. And may this in our hearts, would you speak to us through your word, through your spirit, and may we obediently change our hearts as we seek to live more like what you call us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. I have many reminders or remembrances or memories as a child going to my friend's house who had a pool just down the street, and we would walk down about five minutes and go and have a great time and Usually, I remember those days would be filled with playing sharks and minnows and, and uh, water, water pistol fights and then diving contests, which really became uh, who could make the biggest splash contest, and uh, I would make the biggest splash, and we would, we would have great time, but sooner or later, eventually, it would become, uh, we would, someone eventually would come and try to baptize someone, you know, dunk them and, you know, put them under the water. But I also remember many of us, all of our friends went to church somewhere that we would repeat what we had seen. And usually that week, if someone was baptized in church, sooner or later, someone would come around and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to do this, and let's, let's get together, and we'll baptize each other. We'll take turns baptizing each other. Now, to be clear, there was no spiritual nature or anything that would have to do it. We just wanted to put each other under until we bubbled. You know, that's, that's basically all we wanted to do. So uh, we kind of took baptism lightly as children. But you know, kind of the same memories that would occur to me when it would be the time of the Lord's Supper. I remember as a child in Virginia, we would do it uh, once a month. And so there was many opportunities to sit there and think, what is this all about? And why are we doing it? I just remember vaguely that uh, I would taste, you know, we would take the Lord's Supper and I'm like, why does this oyster cracker taste bad? I don't under, I don't quite understand this. And then later on, I was, uh, you know, I'd search the scripture and find out, you know, you know, I couldn't quite find in my Bible where Jesus turned the water into Welch's grape juice, but I remember that you know there was something to do with that. There's, that's Travis's joke right there. Uh, we, I know that that as a child I wouldn't take it as seriously as as I should. And you know the funny thing is I think sometimes as adults we don't take it as seriously as we should either. See, the reality is that God has gifted us the ordinances, what we would call observances of Christ's command, that to teach us 
to unite us to be reminded of the gospel. And it is when we are more reminded of the gospel and we are more faithful in Christ, as we are more reminded and drawn to the gospel, we are more drawn to these ordinances to make them special, to be reminded of how great they are, what a gift they are to us as the church. It is then in the church that the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper increase in commitment of ourselves and the church to a commitment to Christ. And in observing these, we realize that we are not just taking of elements or seeing someone put under water, but instead we are displaying the truths of Jesus. So as we look at this this morning, I want us to look just at four facts of the ordinances of the church and how they should be biblically based and how we should faithfully follow them. Number one being this, that ordinances are symbolic. Ordinances are symbolic. Now today we communicate with symbols. Uh, those of us who like to text a lot or to send messages use emojis or symbols to communicate. I have friends that can communicate paragraphs in just pictures and, and characters. And I'm just like, would someone please translate this for me? I don't understand what you're saying. You're missing verbs and different things. What does this mean? Well, we communicate these ways with emojis and symbols. We understand them. We understand that they are symbols of something else. And in the same way, Jesus created or brought together the ordinances to be symbolic of the gospel. Baptism, for example, comes from the word, the Greek word in the original language of baptizo, which literally means to dip under. We believe that Baptists, we have reformed the reforming. We have rightfully reclaimed the picture or the symbolism of what Jesus ordained as baptism. That immersion is a picture. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. It is also a picture of what happens to us when we are born again, we are regenerated, we are dead to our old selves, and that we are raised to walk in a new life following Jesus. This is the picture that Paul displays in Romans chapter 6. If you've got your Bible open or your pew Bible to uh, page 1001, Romans 6 verse 3 says this, Or you're unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Here is baptism is is a symbol of something that God has done within us. It is, a, it is a picture of Jesus and the new life that he has given. But also the Lord's Supper is symbol. It was built on symbolism as Jesus instituted them. In Luke chapter 22, he says this, And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And he said, here's the first symbol. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And here's the second symbol. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
Jesus chose this and ate with his disciples in what is known as the Passover meal, when it was celebrated when the Israelites were released or delivered from Pharaoh and Egypt, and the Spirit of God passed over the land, killing the firstborn of every land, except for those who had placed the Lamb's blood on their door. Jesus said that rightfully understood this meal was pointing forward to him. That there was a greater deliverance that was coming. A greater forgiveness. A, a greater passing over of sin. And it is through Jesus Christ that Jesus took this and said, Here and now, this bread is broken. It is a symbol of my body being broken on behalf of you. That my, your sin and my sin was taken by Jesus and he was nailed to a tree and he was broken so that we might live. When by faith we eat the bread, we are agreeing that by faith this Jesus died for me. But even more so, he took another symbol, the cup of wine, which he says symbolizes his blood shed for him. This great sacrifice, this covenant that we know that in that day uh, you cut a covenant that you would say you would sprinkle blood and say if I do not uphold this covenant may I be dead in this way Jesus said my blood has been shed I have died to make this covenant for you this covenant that if by faith you believe in Christ you repent of your sin forever you will be his child. You will be born again, sealed by the Spirit of God. This symbol for us that we will partake in just a few minutes symbolizes the work of the gospel. But friends, symbolically, these two ordinances are not salvific. They are not for salvation. They do not add grace. It is just like the symbol that I wear, my wedding ring. It is a symbol of my covenant commitment to God and to Sarah that we will be married forever in this life. This is a commitment, this outward symbol of that commitment. But so too happens if I take this wedding ring off, does it mean I'm not married anymore? Does it mean that that commitment and covenant is gone? No. It's just a symbol. In the same way that ordinances are just a symbol, an outward symbol of an, an internal truth, an eternal truth. And it is a matter of fact of a regenerated life that we display that baptism does not add one ounce to our salvation. That as we take of the Lord's Supper, that we are not adding a measure of grace to gain sanctification or salvation to God, that we, would be, that we would be accepted by Him. No, we know that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. It is not, if we were to say that Christ plus baptism or Christ plus sacrament of the Lord's Supper, then we are no longer trusting in Christ alone. If it's Jesus plus something, then it's not in Jesus alone. I am ashamed how many people 
who have raised knowing this truth and have been manipulated by well-meaning Christians to say that baptism can add something or communion can add something to your, to your salvation. Friends, you cannot add to Jesus or He isn't Savior. Either His death is enough or it's not. So today, for you, maybe the question is this. Have you seriously been born again? Have you been forgiven and trusted in Christ Jesus alone? Can you see that your sin condemned you for separation from God for all eternity? Have you heard this good news the Bible calls the gospel, that Jesus has, has died and buried and rose again, and that in faith in him you can be born again? The Spirit comes in and gives you a new life, and you repent of your old sins and turn to follow Jesus, can this be said of you today? Because friends, if not, the symbolism of baptism and the symbolism of the Lord's Supper that we will gather together reveals nothing because it's not true in your heart. If you repent and believe, then you can come and partake in the Lord's Supper for the first time as a born-again believer. But the ordinances is more than symbolic. Number two, ordinances are a declaration. Ordinances are a declaration. Ordinances are a declaration of our allegiance to Christ. They are a declaration of what has happened in our lives. It is a declaration of this new person who is in charge of our hearts. This is a declaration that we follow King Jesus. Friends, when you look in the Bible, there is no public profession of faith found in the scriptures other than baptism. And this baptism is a declaration that we are going away from our old way and coming into our new way by faith. No one walked an aisle. No one signed a church letter in the scriptures. Instead, they believed, repented, and then were baptized. As a matter of fact, Peter said in his famous sermon in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, our new birth is declared in baptism, and our life is then continued on as we proclaim what has been done. We continue on in obedience. In the same way, we will continue on in declaring our faith as we take communion in the Lord's Supper. We are proclaiming the truth of the gospel to ourselves and to each other as we take the elements in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul tells us that for as often as you eat this bread and that you drink this cup, what do you do? Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, you are proclaiming, you are saying, you are declaring for the world that Jesus is mine and I am his and his death has changed me. Someone once said that the baptism is the Christian's birth certificate and the Lord's Supper is a Christian's passport. Stamped by faith, continuing on as we live in obedience to him. Friends, when we declare our allegiance to Christ, it is not a one-time event but as a declaration that we will faithfully follow 
for life. Now yesterday, the full, the full menu of or slate of college football kicked off and there were games all day and people went in full team colors and full team outfits and went on to cheer their team. They were declaring their, their faith and allegiance in their, their college or university or, or whoever was playing and, and said, they're going to win. Now, I would say for the most part that none of them went in their team's colors and rooted for the other team. None of them. I don't, I don't think there's a... Now, there's some smart Alec fans every once in a while that would say, yeah, I don't like this coach and I want a new coach. So I hope this other team wins. We can get this over with and get a good coach. But they're, they're really snarky and that's like 0.1% of the crowd that's usually there. Most of the time, agree, agree, Fans are going to cheer for their team, their allegiance for their team. It would be blasphemous in most of our circles of fandom to go and root for the other team. Then how much more blasphemous is it, friends, for us to claim allegiance to Christ and live totally apart from Him? How could it be that we would live proclaiming these truths of the gospel of baptism and eating at the table and living totally against what the Bible says? How could we live in faithfulness to the gospel by chucking aside holiness and right living? Friends, this baptism that we go into, the Lord's Supper that we come together at the table, we cannot proclaim the truths of Jesus and live totally apart from Him. Friends, we said we have turned from sin and turned to Christ. So as we come, we cannot say one thing and live another. We cannot say we faithfully follow Jesus and then let gossip reign in our lips. We cannot say that we faithfully follow Jesus and not live for Christ by pulling lust into our eyes and to our life. We cannot say that we follow Jesus and allow unrepentant sin to linger and be part of our lives. Friends, this is hypocritical of the highest order. That's why when... Paul says in, in chapter 6 of Romans, he says after he's gone through this picture of baptism and the new life we have gained, in verse 12 he says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead... Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but of grace. And this is why we are commanded as we go to the Lord's Supper to look at our own hearts. To look inward and see if there is unrepentant sin. When Paul speaks to the Corinthian church there in 1 Corinthians, they are having a mess of problems when it came to the Lord's table. They had the, the rich people were running in and eating all the Lord's uh, supper uh, food and, and they had disunity in the body. There was so much wrong going there. And Paul says, look, you need to look to your heart. 
You need to confess if there is problems among you. If you have a problem with your brother, you need to go get right with your brother. If you have something hidden in your heart, you need to confess it to God. The one God who loves you and is faithful to, get, to forgive. Friends, we must understand that our allegiance is to the king and the ordinances are a reflection of our heart status. So when we come to the Lord's table, we come to baptism, we must understand the importance it has in our lives. And this is why we are driven to participate in them. Because number three, the ordinances are obedience. Ordinances are obedience. Now quickly, Thomas Jefferson we know, historically wrote his own Bible. He really didn't write it. He just edited it and cut out all the versions that talked about miracles. He was a deist of the highest order, and he made his own Bible. And we scoff at that. But how many of us in the same way edit the Bible ourselves? We go and read something that's hard for us to follow, and we say, oh, well, that's not for me. That's for someone else. Or or this part is not culturally relevant. We don't need to follow this anymore. Or we, we make all these excuses why the Bible, God's Word, is not for us. Well, friends, it's not what we think about what God's Word. It's what God says about His Word. And if, we, if God says it, then we must understand it and do it. Look, if we say that every breath, every word of the Bible is God-breathed, then it is true for us. If Jesus says not even a dot or tittle or scratch of Scripture will fall away, then, friends, we need to know the Bible. We need to obey it. We need to understand it. It's not what we think about the Bible, but what the Bible says to us. And so when we look at these ordinances... We understand that these are not optional as Christians. This is not the optional box that you, you fill out in a survey or in a form. This is what you do as Christians. When Jesus says uh, that when Jesus was baptized as an example for us, that we go and we're baptized. When he says, go and be baptized, that is not a recommendation. That is a command. When he says to the church, go baptize making disciples friends that is not a mere hope that is jesus the king saying go and baptize and the in the bible baptism was almost immediate therefore everything you read is go be saved repent believe and be baptized it was one thing there was almost immediate baptism in the scriptures and in the bible it was the, always the status of rebirth that preceded baptism. As a matter of fact, F.F. F. Bruce, a theologian, said the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not even entertained in the New Testament. So today, maybe you need to consider this. Maybe today, you need to understand, as you've heard, the purpose and goal of baptism is maybe today you need to come and say, Pastor, I need to be baptized. Maybe God is telling you that you need to get your baptism on the right side of your conversion. Maybe you were sprinkled or baptized, but you did not understand the gospel, that you did not proclaim Christ, that you did not repent, that you did not believe that there was no life change that happened to you before your baptism, that you just got washed in the water. Friends, if that is all you did, then all you did was got wet. Nothing happened. 
But if the Spirit of God has come in you and made you new, then when you came into the waters, you were proclaiming that the gospel was good enough to save me. And it was a proclamation to everyone in the room. And friends, let me warn you that if your nature, if you went into the baptismal pool not being saved, not being born again, and you went home and you lived as though nothing happened, that you lived not in faithfulness to God, that you lived apart from the Bible, then all you did is proclaim to your friends and family that the gospel is not powerful to save because they saw no difference in you. Friends, if God made you new and you repented and turned away and you became born again, you went home proclaiming to your family and friends that the gospel is real and it can change everyone. Friends, today the gospel is salvation for all. And Today as you gather, maybe you should ask yourselves, is God calling me to baptism To say that now that I know faith and repentance, now that I know that Christ has died for me, now that I know that I'm born again, I must be baptized. But also today, as we gather around the table, you can say you're a baptized believer coming to proclaim Jesus as we partake the Lord's Supper together. And if you're in good standing with your church, that you would say you're a born-again believer I commend you to come and join us at the table. That you can celebrate, look forward to until Jesus comes. This is not optional. When Jesus said, take it until I come. Do this in remembrance of me. This is not a suggestion, but a, a command for us to follow. And this is more than a decision that affects you today. It affects us all. Because number four, ordinances are for a church community. Ordinances are for the community. Friends, the ordinances are for the church in which Jesus died. It is for the beauty and enjoyment and encouragement of each other. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not to be celebrated alone in your room or by organizations outside of the church. It is for the church which Jesus died. So when we celebrate baptism... We celebrate the power of the gospel that saved everyone in the church. It is the, when we celebrate baptism, we, we are encouraged to evangelize so that we can say that we are part of someone else's salvation story. When we see a baptism, it unites us in faith in Christ because we say that this same gospel that is the power to save is through Jesus Christ and Him alone that we are united in faith in this. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Friends, when we see a baptism, when we come to the Lord's table, we are united in faith that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to salvation. He is the only hope for us all and the only faith that we have. If we believe otherwise, we're in the wrong place. 
We're not united, but then divided. Because then some of us believe and some of us don't. If we say that there are other ways to be saved other than Jesus, how can we celebrate the Lord's table? How can we celebrate someone being baptized? It would be like someone, like an Allstate agent, having State Farm insurance, believing that their product is not good. We say that it is only in Christ, only in the gospel, only in Him can someone be saved? We are united in this faith. So when Paul writes this, we are reminded. But we're also reminded that it's not just in faith that we're united, but for the good of others. You see, when we come together at the table and in baptism, friends, this is a message to one another. It's a message of encouragement and for our good. And despite of everything that was happening in the Corinthian church, Paul called them out on that, said, don't do this. This is not how the Lord's Supper should be. In, in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, he says, now I've given this instruction not to praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. He's saying how you're participating in this is bad, but what is the Lord's Supper meant to be? For our good. Because when we're proclaiming the gospel, we're proclaiming it for each other. When someone comes together, we look across the aisle and we see the hope of the gospel being proclaimed in each other's lives. It is palpable and contagious that we are united in this faith. But this presence at the table and of the baptism is encouraging to one another. It's encouraging to the struggling single parent who looks across the aisle and sees the widow or widower who's persevering in their faith. And they see and you're united to say, God loves me and he will get me through this. It's encouragement to an older saint who looks across the room and sees a young believer who is faithfully following Jesus. And they can say, yes, yes, the church that I'm part of is bringing up people in faith that will carry on Jesus' name forever. To the struggling believer who is here, they look across the aisle and see someone who is persevering in their faith. And it encourages them to keep repenting, keep believing, keep going. And it is a reminder to all of us to love one another because of Christ loved us. Friends, the supper is us partaking in the hope of Christ. It is a message to one another to join us together, to bring us joy, to bring us encouragement, to unite us together, and then also remind us that as we take of this gospel, that we will be brothers and sisters forever and ever until Christ comes and brings us home, and we will be there for eternity together. So today, how will you take the Lord's Supper and ordinance? I hope you would just do these quick things would you look to the cross? Can you, in your heart, sing or say these words? Alas, and did my Savior's bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy 
all the day. Is that your song? Is that your faith? Is that your heart? Is that your hope? Friends, let us look to the cross and remember the gift of Christ. I encourage you to also not just look to the cross, but look around. This family of faith, the miracles of God that has saved each one of us from different places of the world, different places of Kentucky, and different places in our lives, that this is evidence of the gospel and that gospel is alive and well and saves. Look around and look around at these people that God has brought us together and gifted us with this church and community of faith. Look forward. Look forward because Jesus said, I will not taste of the wine, the fruit of the vine, until I come again. That Jesus, the King, is coming. The one we swear allegiance to is coming. And he has a kingdom ahead, a kingdom that is eternal, a kingdom that we look forward to. But we must also look inward. Some of us need to be inward and look and see if we are born again. Some of us need to cry out to God in salvation for the first time today. And the rest of us, we need to look inside and confess to God the unrepentant sin that we have. But I pray that as we look at the symbol of the table, the symbol of baptism, that we look again and again and again and again to the gospel that saves us. The gospel that saves us and empowers us and makes us new today today in God's presence. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I hope today that you would use this time, if you need to proclaim publicly your salvation in Jesus, we hope that you would do that. And maybe today you would proclaim and say, Pastor, I know that I've been saved, I've been born again, I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. I need to I need to proclaim to the world that Jesus is king of my life. We would celebrate with you if you came forward for baptism. Or maybe you would say, Pastor, I want to come and join with your family of faith. As we proclaim the gospel together, I want to unite at this table together with this family of faith. We would love to welcome you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to all stand and sing how deep the Father's love for us to prepare our hearts for what Christ has done and what we will celebrate at the Lord's table. Dear God, we pray this morning that you would work in the lives and hearts of your people, that if there's someone here that needs salvation, today would be the day that, God, you change them and make them new, that they would join us at the table for the first time. Lord, we pray this morning that if there is those of us who are harboring sin in our hearts or our lives, that we are now quick to forgive that we would mend relationships, mend brokenness, that we would come together united in Christ and seek seriously to proclaim the declaration of our heart, Jesus Christ. God, I pray in this together we come as your church and we will sing together how great your love is for us.